Sunsets from the Hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. So, when, when I first got the message for the conference, Finishing Generation, um, you can still, if you want, you can still. The first analogy or picture that the Lord gave me was a four by four meters race. Yes? And funny enough, the first vid picture that came to my mind was a video that I saw online. I actually looked for it, but I couldn't find it. So it was a four by four meters race. And the comment, you know how people record on their phones something you're watching on the screen? The guy was just commenting. So the first leg, the guy that took the first leg, he was a pro. He dusted everybody, you know, even gave them, this guy can slow down for people, gave them space. They handed the baton over to the next person ran, the next. But then the last guy, <laughs> I don't know if he should have rehearsed with them. <laughs> he, they gave him enough space, enough gap, so that they just do the bare minimum and finish. Alas, he finished last. <laughs> and I was just thinking about it, yeah? I was just thinking about the finishing generation and how we are at the last leg and, and how every, for, those, for, that, for that scenario I painted for you, for every one of their efforts and tasks and every one of their hard work and diligence rested on the one who was last to finish it. Yes, the Bible says better is the end of a thing, yes, than the being. So if God has put together a people and given them the task to finish what he started, it means that the capacity that Jesus had to begin, you need it to end. Am I communicating? So the four of them that were in that meter race, they had one coach. And whether you are at the starting line or the finishing line, you must follow the entire process that it requires for you to be in a race. So it doesn't really matter, well, it matters the position you are in, but the position you are in is not the determining factor. The determining factor is the fact that you are in a race. And you must understand that you are in a race and you have a goal. The goal of the starting leg is the same goal with the finishing leg. Do you understand? Yeah. And I'm saying this because <clears throat> sometimes when we hear things like the finishing generation, we pride ourselves in trying to say we are the ones who will do it. Yeah. And we are forgetting that there are people who have come before us who had this same goal in mind. They had this picture. Hebrews 12 will tell us about the people, starts from 11, about all the people in faith. And they didn't receive the promise even after they died, but they knew that a, a people were coming to which that promise will be finished in them. So sometimes when we gather for conferences, let's all celebrate <laughs> Daddy, Dado, in our midst. Glory to God. Glory to God. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> so what I was saying is that the rudiments and the processes and everything are the same for the first and the finishing leg. So in this conference, you're not going to come and hear something you've not heard before. 
You're not going to come and hear a new word. You're not going to hear a different revelation. You're not going to hear a different way of serving Jesus than the one that Jesus has already prescribed in his word. You're not going to hear, stop reading the Bible and start climbing mountains. You're not going to be hearing, look to the sky and call angels by name. It's the same thing. Because one of the nature and character of God is his consistency. One of the ways you will know if, if something is wrong is if it doesn't line up with the character or the nature of God because it does not change. If God was good yesterday, God will be good today and he will be good tomorrow. If God says that there are rudiments of the life of a believer that you must follow to grow, if he said it yesterday, it is the same today and it will be the same tomorrow. Praise God. So understand that the processes are the same. The rudiments are the same. The training is the same for the first leg and the finishing leg. You know, the same diligence and the same devotion that the people, our apostles of old, engaged in to do the things that they did is the same devotion and rudiments and training that we need right now to finish. The difference is that the weight of all these things that have been done is resting on the one who is to finish it. That's why it says that we have a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us because we have to finish what they started. That's why Jesus says that greater things than this, than what he has done, we will do. Why? It's not just to show that we can do the things that Jesus did, but we have to finish the things that he started. So what are these things that we're supposed to finish? Today, there are two things that I'm going to just talk about. There's no timer at the back. There's there a human timer? Okay, great. So I want to establish something before I speak about the two things. Number one, we do not despise what came before us. We do not despise the foundations that were laid for us to build upon. I know that so many people have complained about how church used to be. But we understand that there are things that we learned based on the things that they did. You know, for all of us, we would continue to build on the revelation of God that we have. And the more we know God, the more we can speak about him, the more we can teach about him, the more we can build on what was started. You know, we, sometimes we complain about churches that pray about fire, that do these things and all that. But, you know, every generation has what they came to that generation to face to conquer, to accomplish. I believe that my parents' generation, they fought demons so that we, we can stand upon the victories that they have and we can see a different revelation of Jesus. If we are still fighting the demons that our parents fought, then we will not enter another level of God. We will not even get there to see it. So the fire that they were firing is so that we can see road. Amen. 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 So the point I'm making is that there's one goal. There's one goal. 
There's one goal, there's one vision, there's one mission, there's one assignment, there's one calling. There may be different expressions, there may be different ways of doing it, but the goal is still the same, that the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea, that all men will be reconciled to God the Father just as it was in the heart of God, that it is his will that no man should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is what the word of law says, this is the goal, this is vision. This is why the heavens, God, when God created, we created us in his image and likeness to look like him because we belong to him. And now after everything has crash landed, it doesn't change the fact that we're supposed to be like him and look like him and be restored back to him. It is not beyond God to start afresh. Yes, but he has chosen to sacrifice himself so that his life can be given to us to get our lives back like who we are, who we are in him. We, God's offspring that we are. So with this picture in mind, the goal of the past is not different from, there's no new goal or new vision. It's still the same. I want to establish that fact before we move on. In Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, it says, therefore, this is Paul speaking to the Ephesian church. Therefore, I, a prisoner for the, ser- for the service of the Lord, I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle and patient with each other, making allowance for each other's fault because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Praise God. This is the background to which we are going to go. See, no matter how woke you are, God is not going to change because you have a new wokeness. Do you understand? God's standards remain. His vision remains. The rudiments remain. The processes remain. You cannot say that because I speak in tongues of men and of angels, I will not follow the processes of God because my tongues will take me on the wings of the eagles and I shall fly to the... You are going nowhere. (laughs) Or is it that where you are going is not where God is going? Praise God. So the first thing is the mindset of the Phoenicians. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 25. It says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? But run in such a way that you get the prize. Everyone who competes in games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that would not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. As I was preparing for this, I was asking the Lord, so this particular scripture means a number of things. At the end of all time, when we go to meet the Lord, we will get a crown. The Bible says we'll get a crown of righteousness. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Now awaits me, you know, a crown of righteousness. But I was also looking at this. 
critically because even in the Olympics, it's one every four years. But anyone that wants to compete in the Olympics starts preparing maybe like a week immediately after the Olympics. They prepare for four years for probably 10 minutes, 50 seconds, nine seconds. Yes? And you prepare for four years for that. And they are looking for a crown. I don't know if that's the Ahmed that usually comes with money or it's just bragging rights. Okay. But no matter what it is, it is something that is fickle that fades. And I was thinking about it. I said, okay, Lord, do we do all these things just so that the only thing we will gain is when we die? Right? And the Lord was saying that eternal life is not, does not start after rapture. Eternal life begins when you have God. Because God is eternal life. And eternal life means life everlasting. And that life, that life in him is what? In him is what? Light. And that light is the life of men. So if you have God, you have eternal life. And for when you, from the moment you have God, eternal life begins with you. And it does not end because it is what? Eternal. So whether you are in this life or you are in the life to come, you will have eternal life because you have the one who is life. That means if we are running this race, we are running it because the goal that we are looking at is God and not heaven. Heaven is not the goal. The goal is God. And if we do all these things because of him, we have that goal. We have that glory. We have that win. If you do everything that God asks you to do in this life, you have your win already. Your win is not heaven. Your win is God. God is your, your satisfaction. When God was speaking to Abraham, he says, I am your exceeding great reward. You win me. You get to get me. You get to have me. And that is the reason why we do what we do. That's the reason why we put our hands in the plow and we don't look back. Because we have him. He is the one that we seek. He's the one that we dedicate our entire being to. He's our focus. He is our win. The only thing that happens after this life is that we do not get to have him under the conditions of a falling world. But we get to have him in the perfection and the fullness of everything that he has started here. And that's why this world is not useless or useful. Because sometimes when we think about the end, we just think about surviving this one so that we can get into the better life. But the better life starts here. In the pain and in the hurt and in the persecution and the suffering, you have a better life because you have God. Your better life does not stop, does not start when you are singing with angels. You sing with them now. This is what propels you to do the rudiments, the disciplines. This is what propels you to go through the training, to to sit down and listen to the words, to speak the truth when it's even uncomfortable. This is what propels you because you have your win already. As believers, we do not do things to gain. We do things because we have gained. That's why our, the journey of a believer starts with salvation, does not end with salvation because you do not walk to get it. Jesus has done it and given you and now the grace that has been given to you in salvation empowers you 
to become who you are. Unfortunately, we live in the world that operates in the reverse. That everything that you do on a daily basis is to attain something. So when you, work, when you wake up and you go to work, it's so that you can get paid at the end of the day. Or you can get the recognition you're looking for. Or you can get the miles that you're getting. So we are used to having our rewards at the end of our work. And so that's why we form our identity around the things that we do because we see the reward at the end. And that's why we struggle with accepting who we are in Jesus because it was given to you without you doing anything. It's actually not for free. It was paid for with a life. God is our reward. The Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation. That means we have been marked already. We have what it is that we are working for. And we don't have to work for it anymore. We work from the place where we already are. Praise God. So the second thing that I want to talk, is that understood? Can I move on? Second thing I want to talk about is now that we, it begins with God, we understand that it begins with God. We're going to read John 15, 1 to 4. It says, I am the true vine. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't bear fruit, and he prunes the branch that does bear fruit so that it can produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I told you I'm going to talk about two things. Number one is the mindset of the finisher, and number two is the builder of the finisher. God is the one that builds the finisher. God is the one who builds the finishing generation. You know why? Because God is the one who has the mission, and God knows First of all, he's the one with the mission and he's the one who made the vessel for the mission. He understands what he put in the vessel because he created it with intention. And he knows the best place for that vessel to flourish and be fruitful because he knows the ingredients and the requirements that he used to make that particular vessel. So God is the one who builds. He's the one who plants. He's the one who prunes. He's the one who places you in the best place for you to be fruitful. So in this John 15 analogy of, of the vine. Whoever is the gardener takes the time, yes, to plant the vine in the environment that the gardener knows that vine will flourish the most. Yes? So this, it's not everywhere that everything grows. It's not on every soil, no matter how good the soil is, that everything will grow. It's not on that every condition that everything will grow, even if it's on the right soil. You know, that's how strawberries and apples grow in just, but they cannot survive in Abuja because of the weather conditions. But the vine does not know the best soil for itself and does not know the best conditions for its growth. It's the gardener that knows it, and that's why and God was complaining about the children of Israel. He says, I had a vine 
and I put it upon a hill and I watered it and I cared for it and I did everything that it should have but it was producing wild grapes. And he was saying, judge between me and you what I should do to that grape. You know, sometimes, Pastor Mo was speaking earlier, we feel like when we give our lives to Christ, since we think the goal is heaven, we do as we like until we get there. Then we will do what he asks us to do. You know, so let's just do the things that will make us get to the heaven. Then do the things that will sustain us on the earth so that when the trumpet blows, they have gone. Because I was asking the Lord, I said, every time something phenomenal happens on the, world, on the earth, we are always thinking about the end times. And there's this urgency that comes, it's end times, the end times. And I asked myself, what is that urgency we feel? What is it exactly? When you think about the end times, COVID came and everybody was like, the signs of the end times, things are happening, chips are going around, they are implanting things, don't take the vaccine. What is that urgency? Have you ever asked yourself, why do I feel this urgency? What do I feel? Because according to scripture, yes, when the bridegroom is coming for the bride, the expectation of the bride is not trepidation, it's joy. So we are, our urgency is that we are glad that the day has finally come, that our bridegroom is coming. But sometimes when we think of the end times, we are, think, we are afraid and we are thinking of fear and we are thinking, are we going to make it? And we are preaching in a hurry because you know that there's an assignment that God has given you to do, but you did not do it. And now it's report card time. So you are rushing to do the calling because you want to make it because your mindset has not yet figured that your reward is God. So instead of preaching the joy, you know how when your friend invites you for their wedding, the way they are inviting you is they are telling, they are convincing you to go because of the joy in their hearts. But when we are telling people about our bridegroom coming, we are not speaking to them out of love. We are speaking to them out of fear. We are, because we are, trying, we are transferring to them the fear that we have because we haven't settled in our hearts that we are justified by faith. And it is not in our works so that no man will boast. We are not secure in the love of God for us because we still think that God can change his mind at the last minute. We are not satisfied that the blood of Jesus is able to keep us, like Jude said, unto him who is able to keep us from falling and present us to himself blameless. We are not yet secure in the ability of Christ and the Holy Spirit to keep us until his coming day. That means in your life, you are not even sure that your daily life is pleasing to God. So when we think of the end times, so you say finishing generation, you are crying. So when you cry, Lord, come, what are you really crying? Maranatha. What are you really saying? Because remember that God doesn't see the outward appearance, it's the heart. So all your crying, eh? How many of you have children that are trying to scam you and you know where it's coming from? You know, they are doing it well in their minds. They are getting it right. <laughs> you, you're just like, auntie, I've been there. <laughs> this thing you are doing, I know what you are doing. They are explaining and explaining. 
See, there's nothing that you would ever do that God does not already know. That means God judges the intent of your heart. And that, that means if your heart, if your desire is for what he gives and not who he is, he knows. We want his heaven, but we don't want him. You see that, that pearl of, that street of gold, you've been imagining it. There are those streets of gold. <laughs> Pearly gates. You want to know what it looks like. But you don't want him. That's why when, when somebody says something like, Jesus is coming soon, you say, I beg, let me marry first. Because you do not understand that there is no better joy than having the one who is Lord over all be your groom. There is no greater satisfaction than being one with God. There is no greater contentment or fulfillment that you will ever have than being in the will of God. And do you know why? It's not because of just desire. That's what you were made for. Your heart will always reach out for what it was made for. Always. Sometimes because of, of the fall, the only other thing we know is outside of God. But there is more in God. And you know why? Because your very, the fabric of your being reaches out to the fabric of God's being because it's, you are cut from the same cloth. What I'm trying to say, anything that you hear from this conference, eh, there are not 10 steps on what to do to make it when Jesus comes. Because I know that sometimes, end of, towards end of year, you look back at the year, you not really perform. Do you understand? You have two months to fix it before crossover because you have lists of crossover. Yeah? Then you, you come for conference, you get fired up, you write a list of things that you want to do, and you start doing it, and then you are like a, you are like a seed that was planted right on the soil, that was excited and started growing sprouts. But the cares of life came and choked the word from it. Because it was not planted, those seeds were not planted on the right soil. If the foundation be destroyed, the Bible says, what can the righteous do? And who is our foundation? Jesus is our foundation. Anyone who builds their house on this rock, even when the winds come and the waves come, they will remain standing because their house was built on Christ. If the things that you are doing for God is built on your love for him, your desire for him, if you know that the goal is him, Everything that you do will stand. And on the day that he finally comes, he, you will not be surprised at his coming. Have you ever seen a bride that is shocked that the groom came for the wedding? <laughs> Have you? Is it? No. Because what? They've been planning it together. 
They've been walking every step of the way. They are co-heirs. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are co-laborers in this vineyard. He gave us this ministry so that we can continue. He says we should occupy till he comes. So we know that he's coming. So why are we afraid when he actually says he's almost here? <laughs> Praise God. And the final thing that I will say tonight is that we do not live for ourselves. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And you willingly gave your life up because you understood the cost of the price that was paid for you. You do not decide your life. You do not orchestrate your life and give God to endorse your plans. You sit with him for him to tell you what he wants to use your life for. That influences every decision you take. That means even the job that you have should be predicated on what you know your life calling is. And I know that sometimes we love the God of heaven, but we don't want him to be our ruler on the earth. We leave, we leave God for spiritual matters. So, God has given you a calling or a vision, but you have your own plans to sustain yourself on the earth, and then when you have time, you do the things that he has called you to do. So it's kind of like 80-20 sometimes. It's not like you're not doing it. It's just that you got to take care of things, you know, you know, just so that, you know, you'll not be... One day I was just listening and I heard, I heard somebody say that, you know, it's, it's better to go for evangelism with SUVs. So as you are going with the SUVs and people see the cars you are coming with, they will believe the Jesus you are bringing. <laughs> and I was, I was a bit confused, actually. Because the, the, the statement was an excuse for why I spend all my time focusing on chasing material things so that when I finally have time to do the Jesus thing, I will come and do it in style. For who exactly? The one who owns the cattle on the Thousand Hill? What is your, the one who is coming with chariots? Like, what's your SUV? Suv. <laughs> But at the end of the day, we must audit our motives. We must audit our intention. We must audit what our lives are for. Yeah. Have we really given this life to Christ? Have we really given it to him? Can we actually proudly say that I have lived my life in service to God because of the things he has called me to do? God is the one who owns your life. That means he's the one who plants you. That means he's the one who determines what you do with the life that he has given you. You know, sometimes God will put you in the best place for you to grow. And it could look like anything. It could look like a job. It could look like a church. It could look like a ministry. It could look like somewhere planting you. But we, that's the problem. They say we're living sacrifices now. We can leave the altar. So you just stand up from here, move to here. I don't like this place. The music is not giving what it's supposed to give. Do you understand? Then you move. Say, ah, they are shouting too much in this place. Then you move. 
What happens to a seed on the, in, in the ground that is always uprooted and replanted? It will not grow. But what, what happens to a seed that grows? The Bible says that a seed that does not first go to the ground and it abides alone. That means you must die to whoever you think you are for you to resurrect into the life that God has called you to do. You must die to yourself. And when they say die to self, some of us, we just think that it's our sinful actions. So then they say die to self, we just think it's sinful actions. So you've been stealing before, but now you're in Christ. Die to self, sin no more. But you must die to who you think you are and embrace who God has said you'll be. No matter how successful who you are has become in the eyes of the world. Because success before God is not necessarily success before man. Praise God. If I now remind us around up tonight, two things. Number one, we must understand that the goal is the same. We must understand that the mission of God still remains. Last year during Ecclesia Hills, we talked about that mission of God. We talked about what it is, that God is trying to reconcile all men back to himself, to build the original creation mandate is the same. And God, in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth for his glory, for his mission, for his purpose, for his will. It's still the same. You must understand that everyone in this four by four meters race contributes a part towards the goal. We must not despise any of the runners because we are the finishers. We must learn from their processes, learn from their devotion, learn from their rudiment, learn from their practice, their diligence towards the goal. We must understand the mindset of the finisher. Our reward is who? Our goal is who? Our crown is who? And we must remember that it's God who builds us. He's the one who furnishes us. He's the one who plants us. He's the one who dictates the path of our life. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. That means the light of God shows us where we are going. But he also gives us daily guidance for every step that we take. That means if God tells you what he knows is best for you, your place is not to argue with him. Because you cannot see life more than God you cannot have seen it. Your experiences before God do not counsel him. God does not exist in time. That means the very end of whatever road you are taking, God knows how it will end. Hallelujah. Let's just pray for a minute. I want you to ask God for something that your heart will not only be ready but your mind will be willing to accept the things that God is saying. That for every word that will come, for everything that God will bring, for every message, for every um, pattern, for every path, for every calling instruction that he will give us this weekend, that our hearts will receive it, our spirits will embrace it, but our minds will accept it and will be willing to do what it takes to go the distance, to go the length with him, that will allow him to prune, refine us and bring us to a place where we can stand before him and say, we are ready to do your will, oh God. And we will not just sing songs about it, but it will be our everyday life, living and experience in the name of Jesus. 
Father, we are asking that whatever it would take for us to be fully surrendered to your will, that you would do it for us in this time. We give you praise, for in Jesus' name we are praying. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org. 